This is the Paul Kirtley Podcast, episode 45. The Paul Kirtley Podcast. Wilderness bushcraft, survival skills and outdoor life. Welcome, welcome to podcast episode 45. My guest today is Tristan Gooley. Tristan specializes in natural navigation and Tristan set his natural navigation school up in 2008 and he is the author of the award-winning and best-selling books The Natural Navigator which came out in 2010, The Walker's Guide to Outdoor Clues and Signs in 2014, How to Read Water in 2016 and Wild Signs and Star Paths which was published in 2018. He's also written for the Sunday Times, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, the BBC and many magazines. Tristan has led expeditions on land and at sea, put his skills into practice as well as learning from indigenous peoples around the world. He's climbed mountains and he's sailed oceans. He's the only living person to have both flown solo and sailed single-handedly across the Atlantic. He's a fellow of the Royal Institute of Navigation and of the Royal Geographical Society. Tristan was also one of the first guests on my podcast and I've had his support in this endeavour from the early days and I'm delighted to welcome him back again. We always have great conversations and I'm happy that we are recording this one. Tristan has been busy having published a couple of new books since we last recorded a podcast so we had lots to talk about and it was great that we went right into the weeds on some subjects close to Tristan's heart as well as crossing over with areas of knowledge I've touched upon in other podcasts with other guests such as Sarita Robinson and John Hudson so this fits in quite nicely with other podcasts as a sort of mosaic of learning and I'm sure you will find this adds to your knowledge as well. Tristan always has some very interesting observations. So without further ado then, please enjoy the following conversation with Tristan Gooley. Tristan, welcome back. Good to Thanks, have you. Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. So, so good to, uh, to be chatting again. Yeah, it, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I looked it up just to double check. It's actually four years pretty much since we had the last conversation on the on the podcast back back in 2015 it's That's amazing scary. how the years go it is scary isn't it yeah 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 so you've been up to a lot it seems like you've been up to a lot in the meantime and um number of books written and published since then you've become quite the prolific author is that your main focus now? I mean, you do mention in your books that you, I noticed in Wild Signs when I was reading it, you you do talk about enjoying sharing the certain moments with people, you know, when they have those aha moments, when you're showing them things, um, whether it's the shape of trees or, or whatnot, and they, they click. Um, is your main way of sharing those moments now via the books? Or are you still running courses and seminars and things? I am running courses and I really enjoy the courses and they're really important, but they're, um, they became a bit of a bottleneck um, uh, in the sense that I was having to say no. Um, I, I really love having the freedom to be a bit spontaneous, so, so I don't take on staff and things like that. And I, ha I haven't gone that route, which means, unfortunately, I'm having to say no to most people who get in touch, uh, mm. which I hate doing because in the early days, my whole philosophy was, you know, say yes. And even if that means 
you know, driving for, you know, 10 hours round trip to make something happen, just say yes. And it, it got to the point where I couldn't say yes as often as I'd like to. And the, the books for me have become a really nice sort of bridge in the sense that there's no there's no bottleneck there. If somebody wants to, to learn the stuff, then then they're there but i i also i really enjoy the process which lots of people don't and i i fully sort of sympathize and empathize with that you know writing a book is is not all fun but it's it's i like it personally because it pushes me in 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 ways i like i have to i have to be disciplined and i have to learn and i have to push my my knowledge as far as i can in in different directions and um and that yeah i i I love that but it's uh it, it is quite tough i um I'm always careful, particularly if I'm, uh, if there are any uh, women, especially mothers, that I'm talking to, that I don't liken it to childbirth because my experience in that area is is, is not great. <laughs> but, but from what I've heard, there's a, there's a, there's some very tiny, not not comparable, but there is some similarity in the sense that you you half deliberately forget the tough bits so that you can sort of you know sort of go for it again. I, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I was listening to an interview. Um, with a guy called Jim Collins recently, who is a very well-regarded sort of business brain in a way. He's, he's a he's a sort of academic, really, but he's studied. He's interested in studying human systems, and he's known for studying companies because it's a way of getting lots of data on how people behave and what they do and how they organise themselves. But he, you know, he's you know well-regarded author. He's written some fantastic books, and yet he talked about the pain. <laughs> <laughs> and suffering of writing and it seems to be a common theme that people do find it painful yes so. I, I i heard quoted uh well i think it was my publisher or somebody said to me that there's i forget now but i figure off i actually put it in the, in the end of one of my books so it's something like there are 38 stages from submitting what in in your own mind is a completed manuscript i you feel like you finished the book there are 38 steps from that moment until you see it on a shelf and that that sounds completely crazy and if you if you have that in your head when you're going through the all, all the sort of trials and tribulations of getting to the end of the manuscript then you you probably never get there so that's a good example the sort of fact that i forget and then by the time it comes out i go is, is it only 38 well <laughs> like 138 <laughs> well yeah i guess you have to chunk it down and um in the same way as maybe a difficult journey you know difficult physical journey by foot or you know any any human power journey for example you might have to chunk it down and look at intermediate steps look at intermediate goals and take things day by day because otherwise you wouldn't ever set out in the first place yeah absolutely and that that's yeah that's a good um good uh, analogy actually mm-hmm. that kind of you know I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have a drink and a snack at that ridge and uh, not think about it too much in between yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean but it, it's clearly working you you're clearly producing some some nice books and they're you know on my shelf they're starting to look like a nice series as well you know they all have a similar look and feel to them at least the the ones that are published in the uk i know you've got them published in other parts of the world now as well but yeah is it is it quite satisfying to see that accumulation of of your work and your research on the shelf it's so kind of you to to say you you, you've got the got the collection and um and yeah it it is it is hugely satisfying and one of the things i love about books is that they don't um they're not ephemeral um you know once once the work is done it is there and it it sits on sits on a shelf and and somebody you know might not look at it for a, a year or five years or something but it but it's there and and this this probably sounds a little bit weird but i um 
I very occasionally sort of open, you know, I don't tend to look at my last book or two uh, at all. They're still too sort of close, but I occasionally pick up an old one and I sort of open it and see if I can kind of surprise myself with, you know, it's not stuff that I will have forgotten, but it might be stuff I haven't, I don't remember having done or, or stuff. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, they become like um, old friends. And uh, yeah, that is really, yeah, it, it, it's rewarding. Hmm, that's nice. Um, so do, do you approach the books as a sort of set of formalized notes for yourself? Is that how you go about, you know, you come, you have an idea of what you might want to encapsulate in a particular volume? And do you start by scratching your own itch in that way? Or is, is there another seed to how you start a particular book? Um, I don't think there's a, uh, I don't have a one size fits all approach, but mm. there's, um, when we spoke last, uh, I think we talked about, you know, taking a different lens sort of with you each time you go out, you know, you might be looking at birds one time and, and geology the next or something like that. And, and it, it's similar to that in the sense that I will get, you know, you said itch and I think that's a really good way of putting it. I will, I will become insatiably curious about an angle and I will start seeing everything from that perspective. And quite often that that only lasts a day or two. Sometimes it lasts two or three weeks. But very occasionally it, it sort of seizes my entire perspective and I can't really let it go. And then that leads to better understanding for me personally. And that generally the cycle for me is that I, as I say, I go through that process perhaps um, even once a week i'll take a slightly different view on things and and then very occasionally if i'm lucky i go wow that's that's completely changed the way i see something and then i get really sort of worked up and i sort of scavenge outdoors and and you know reading around the subject and everything and and at that point it'll either let go of me or 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 i i sort of get to the point where i'm sort of saying to the publisher i'm saying this this is something that I, I sort of have to write about do you want to publish it and and um and it, it goes from there or doesn't yeah i guess you have to pass it through that filter as well don't you of whether or not the publisher wants to wants to publish it um yeah and it's it's a very healthy um thing because i'm um i'm self-confessed sort of nerd and geek in in my area and i i mean when i started doing all this stuff i genuinely didn't think anybody else in the world would be interested so <laughs> If I could find one or two people who'd listen to it, listen to me talk about the stars for a quarter of an hour whilst on a beach or something, then I was I was grateful for that. But it was a it was a genuine shock when it when it kind of had. I mean, I sort of thought you know out and out, you know, nature outdoors people would have some passing interest, but 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 the 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 idea that it it, it would have a, a broader a broader appeal really really was a shock. And to this day, it is slightly. But that that's where the publisher can be quite quite a healthy sounding board i mean occasionally i i want to do stuff and i i think and i think that's the creative process for everybody is occasionally you just you just it's not it's not want you need to do stuff mm. and you have to you have to say i mean i'll, I'll give you a, a, an actual example sometimes it's not the idea for a book but it's how a book is done so i wrote um two chapters about borneo in in um, one of the books we've talked about before so we won't talk about it lots but in terms of the process of writing i, I do still find it quite interesting because both my publisher and my agent sort of got together and sort of presented me with this. We like everything you've done in the, in this book. This was the Walker Sky to Outdoor Clues and Signs, and they said we love everything. This is this is the manuscript. So this is probably stage one of the thirty-eight. <laughs> and they, they they said together they sort of you know they jointly they said to me we love everything except these two chapters about Borneo just do not fit in. You know they're nice chapters, they're well written. You know we we love what you've done there, but they're not going in this book. And 
if it's coming from those two corners, I normally have to sort of go, okay, yeah, mm. you, you guys really know what you're talking about. But it, I just had to dig in my heels. I just had a gut feel that they belonged there and they were part of it. And, and I, I'm so glad I did because most readers side with me or, or the ones that I hear from do. So that's, that's an example where it's a courtship. It's, it doesn't flow one way. It doesn't flow just from me, but you get this kind of, at its best, you get this good synthesis where I'm saying, look, I'm seeing this unusual stuff and I think people might be interested in it. And they will sometimes say, we agree. And sometimes I'll say, we disagree. And, and more often than not, you know, it's a happy middle ground. But sometimes I think from the creative side, you just have to go, look, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing with these people, you know, every week and I can see in their eyes that they, you know, they, they absolutely love this. So we've, you, you just gonna have to back me and, mm. and I, I can sometimes win through. Mm. Well, I think, I think that interconnect you, you see connections between things and i think that's a hallmark of a lot of your work is that you're seeing the connections between things that maybe other people might not see as connected in that sort of holistic way and maybe they see them as distinct things and i think that's very clear in wild signs and, and star paths that you've got this in, in some ways a manifesto for becoming more connected ourselves with the natural world which is all interconnected in itself and that was that came out very clearly in that book for me was that was that was that the primary intention of that book in a way um thanks the 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 kind of the motivation again starting from a personal even sort of selfish angle was um meeting people and it's not always in far-flung places it's quite often you know close to home i was noticing that the more expert people become the less um the, the harder they find it to break down what they're doing and i found myself i don't think i use this analogy in the book actually but i, I have in in talks in the past if you are somebody who's 65 and has had their had their driving license for 45 years and has been driving every day if you ask them how do you drive home from here you'll get an answer like i get in the car and i drive if you ask a 17 year old who's just about to take their test tell me how you actually drive home from here They'll say, well, I get in, I check the seatbelt, I mirror, signal, maneuver. They break it down mm. because it's still in that part of the brain. So it's a slightly long way of saying that I was getting initially frustrated by the fact that people who had skills that I really respected, whether, you know, indigenous or, as I say, close to home, quite often they weren't even aware what they – and I thought, this is odd. And then I started to notice it myself, particularly in the natural navigation side of things. I just start to sense direction. And I thought, now that's odd. And it was by luck I came across the work of um, – I think he calls himself an economist, but he sort of feels like a psychologist to me. Um, a, a Nobel Prize winner called Daniel Kahneman, who, who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, mm -hmm. which you, you may have come across. But, I, have, uh, I have it. Yes, I was, it was nice yeah. when I picked your book up and you referenced that book. I was like, that's an interesting connection. So, yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he sort of saved me an awful lot of head scratching because that, that's exactly what I saw going on in expertise of all sorts, but closest to what I was passionate about um the, the 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 outdoors expertise and natural navigation but also generally signs so i just started to notice a few years before beginning formally on the, on the book that i was i was getting this sense and, and and perhaps you've had that experience not necessarily in natural navigation but in other outdoor fields where you just get a sense that something's about to happen or or that you know the landscape's about to change in a certain way have you had that mm, absolutely yes yeah and and you know, the more time you spend outdoors, the more you are cued into these things that you notice, you know, whether, you know, all of a sudden the blackbirds are alarming at 
dusk you know you know there's an owl around yes. somewhere and yeah. these type of things yeah yeah absolutely yeah and that yeah. and i i got one of the things i loved about it was i got to um i was sort of led by the book itself more than a a plan beforehand into giving the animals much more attention than i have done in the in the past and that's that that was fantastic for me because i was um it, it just it, it genuine the, the sign that it's going well for me is if if i add a layer of of um uh, satisfaction enrichment to to my own time outdoors and and it's the same with my publisher funny enough he he will um quite often sort of in the process of the the, the publishing he'll quite often sort of drop me an email and say this weekend you know i experienced x you know and, and that's 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 it and with the animals it's it's fantastic because it, you know I, I spend quite a lot of time as you'll have seen talking about and i'll try and pick animals that people can that, that aren't out of reach for most people you know a gray squirrel or something like that doesn't you know, we don't have to go on a safari for that do we but mm. it's it's um when you just when you just start to make predictions of what an animal's going to do and 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 it starts with that reductionist thing so the natural navigation thing is you you teach people how to find their way using the sun or the stars and it's very mechanical to start with it's well it it'll rise in the southeast in the winter and it'll be due south in the middle of the day and you you do all that and then in in one of the chapters of the book i sort of try and give a narrative of how that goes to the point where you're not even you, you don't feel like you're thinking your brain's just taking that on and you can just feel direction and it and it became the same with me with animals at the start of the book i i didn't have that experience with animals i could sort of just occasionally in, in certain animals you know get a feel for as you say with the birds you know bird alarm calls once you've been listening to those for um enough years you you, you do sort of get that sense quite quickly mm-hmm. but um the, the mammals and so the squirrels and the badgers um for me it was very exciting and i i you know I, I can now i went several years only seeing sign of badges in the ground and stuff uh and and now i can i can pretty much walk out and not quite point to one but but only have to spend you know 10 minutes looking for one rather than hours which and that that to me is a sign of um you know it's it's, it's the best of taking what i've been doing for many years and then taking it into a new area that's mm. that's the, that feels like exploring to me even though quite a lot of that the examples in the book are only you know there might only have been five miles from my back door yeah so so if a, if, if a listener wanted to go out and be more uh certain of finding an actual badger rather than just scratch marks and you know areas where they've been nibbling on bulbs and things how how might you suggest they go about that given what you've learned in that respect well, the, 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 the sort of steps, as I, as I set them out in the book, and I call them keys because mm. their key is like a, a sign, which in the context of this book is one that if you practice enough, will start to announce itself. You will start, your brain will start to say, this is what's going on or this is what's about to happen. And in the, in the, case, of, in the case of animals, it's, um, there's, there's the kind of, there's the landscape side of it. So there's a great temptation um, uh when we're starting any of this sort of stuff to, to think nature is spread evenly across the landscape. So the first thing to do is, is sort of help people appreciate that, um, you know, there are actual academic figures of this different animals, but if we just take a broad brush type figure, you know, we might, might say that 80% of all animal activity happens in, in 20% of the space. And so what is that? What is that small bit of space? Well, it's the, it's the edges, the, where two, two landscape types meet each other, perhaps a, a woodland and a field. And then you add another key, which is the animals, you know, the mammals can't pass freely through thick undergrowth like brambles. So they, they pick their, their little highways um, 
and I, I came across a lovely uh, expression, uh, the muzzet, which uh, is what I call the key, because that's that's in medieval times what they call these these little, some people call them pinch points. They're basically just little funnel runs where animals can pass through stuff that otherwise would uh, would be uncomfortable or difficult. Mm. So you put those two things together. You've got the edge, which is one key, and the muzzet, which is another. And you're probably down into, you know, your probabilities of seeing stuff of, of, of stratospherically higher. And then there, there are other things you add, but, but the other one of the other big ingredients is is time. Uh, I give it a, a strange nickname in the book. I call the key the clepsydra because that's um, uh, an ancient Greek water clock, um, mm. if, I, if I remember correctly. And uh, and it's it's is the idea that time in a landscape is is related to variables that aren't that we won't find in our smartphones or watches or anything. So it's you know water in particular. So you you will have had this experience. I'm, you know when you get that. It depends on again your lens. If you're if you're really into um, you know fungi, sort of um, autumn time, you just get that feeling. Okay, we we've had a dry spell, we've had a cold spell. Okay, this is this is you know I've just got to get out there and um, you know it's rained a bit and then it's sunny and and and, and it's exactly the same with the, with the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes you sort of do it enough that you you start mechanically going. Okay, well there hasn't been a lot of water around now. There's it's been a it's been a heavy downpour but but now it's dry in nice conditions and it's and it's dusk and it's that cut it's and then you pair something with the dusk you mentioned the the blackbirds you know around where i am quite often it's the pheasants you know and you just start to put those pieces together and it starts mechanical like that piece that piece that piece you know edge muzzet and you do that enough times and then you your brain just takes over because we've all evolved to do this where you just start to get this nagging feeling there's a badger there and yes. there isn't always but but very often there is. Mm. Mm. No, it's, it's it's interesting, and um, I, I've had similar experiences in the woods, particularly with with deer. Um, and the the other now that you mention it, you're just describing that it brought to brought to mind a, an experience I had uh, relatively recently, not not long after Christmas. And I was driving back, uh, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I've, I've got a, a place in London that I spend some time in. And I was driving back uh, from the northeast of England, driving back down to London. I came into London quite late at night. I try and I try and drive into and out of London either very early in the morning or very late at night because it yeah. saves an immense amount of time and frustration. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was driving back in quite late at night. And on the outskirts of London, I saw I saw Fox. It's not that unusual to, to, to see a fox, you know, sort of as the as the kind of arable fields on the outskirts of London on the inside of the M25 kind of give way to the, the suburban. You often see them around there late at night crossing the roads and things. But it's into, I had this feeling that I was going to see more foxes. I don't and I don't know why. And then I saw another one as I was kind of coming in for, you know, much further into town. And then I came into the house and I turned the you know turned the heating on and everything. And I had this urge to look out the window. And within about a minute of looking out the back window where I do sometimes see foxes there was another fox and I don't know what it was that you know I was tired I wanted to go to bed but I just had this urge to to look out that I was somehow and I have no idea what the cues are and maybe it was just coincidence but I you know on that evening I saw three foxes and, and another drive-in I'll see none and it was, it was quite yeah. interesting once I seen the first one I just had this feeling that I was going to see more and and sure yes. enough I did yeah yeah and um that that's a really good example of where if your aim for the next month had been to see foxes you'd have made a mental note possibly even a physical note of the condition so you know it can start as i say very mechanically you might be scribbling down okay 
what I quite often do if, at the mechanical stage is, is, is write down an actual time, but then I will, I'll put in brackets what that time is relative to sunset. Mm. so because in nature's terms it's 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 sunset that's the clock obviously not the not the numbers so yes. i might scribble down something like you know uh 6 sunset plus 25 or something and it's the plus 25 i try and remember because when i'm out there and and then i kind of feel okay yeah we are about 20 minutes past sunset this is it and then the mechanical bit fades the background because our brain doesn't really that's really hard in Kahneman's terms that's really hard slow thinking it's it's making our brain work far harder than it wants to so our brain will forge the shortcut and we will get that sense so it's part of how this works as I explained in the book is, is caring you know which sounds very sort of vague and useless but actually it's, it's really very practical so that's why I say if, if what you really want to do is see Fox over the next few weeks you would by definition care you would therefore invest more mental energy in, in noticing the, the the variables around that and then your brain would take over and, and a fortnight mm. later you you just say right there's a fox behind me and, and there it is and um but it's it's you know it, it was quite quite an ambitious uh, and daunting book because I, a lot of the time i'm trying to find very straightforward lego type pieces to get to what isn't necessarily um an easy to articulate thing mm. so yeah, to, to, to sort of sense, um, you know, a, a certain species of tree behind you starts to sound a bit like sort of a bit sort of a bit kind of woo-woo and weird yeah. and that sort of stuff. But actually, you, it's, it, it, yeah, sorry. You, I'm just saying you, you were very, sorry to interrupt, uh, you, yeah. you, you, you were very careful quite early on in the book, I think, to to make, make it clear that you're viewing this as science, not as something that's woo woo or i think as you put it in the book new age i think is the phrase you used in the book. yeah that's probably a better one yeah yeah and, and i um i'm i'm broad-minded and i don't i i never um deliberately say something is untrue unless i have facts to back it up so there's a whole load of stuff you know from you know you know the list is very long but dowsing is a good example where i would never say it doesn't work or it does work because i don't have enough first-hand evidence to to make that call but my default position is you know i'd like it if it works and i i want you know but for me to write about something it has to be something that i've i've been able to put into practice and for that to happen i have to understand the bits um yeah. and, and so that's yeah that that's where that comes from and i guess from. it so it needs to be replicable i guess that, yes that's that's the bit that makes it scientific absolutely yes. yeah it needs to be tested even if the mm. the laboratory is somebody going for a stroll mm. um in, in their local woods it, it, exactly yeah you're right there and that the sense that if it's um and i'm i'm sort of i'm sensitive to that because as a reader i don't i get criticized for this and and, and all all outdoors writers get criticized for a little bit the readers by and large don't want to unless you're writing purely for the, um, the the quality of your English literature, which quite a few nature writers do, but if you're writing something that has more of a practical um, mission, you can't get away with um, telling a story of amazing things you've done that the reader can't then go and try. That's, that's breaking the deal. Mm. So I, I get told pretty quickly, if I ever stray that way, I, I do put first-person accounts of things happening in, in all of my books because... I'm not writing textbooks and I, I kind of want it to be um, ideally entertaining and in, informative, but most of my readers will consider the the contract broken if, if, if it's entertaining without informing in a way that, as you say, they can, they can have a go at. 
Hmm. No, that's interesting that you you know, and I think that's interest as a, as an author to that you're making those distinctions, you know, there's clear distinctions in your in your mind about what it is that you're creating for people. And um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, where was I going to go from there? I had another question. I've forgotten what it was now. Um, just on the point about caring, it's, in, it's interesting from a psychological point of view. Because a friend of mine is is a psychologist, and um, and he teaches psychology at university level as well as being a practical clinical psychologist. And I asked him once, um, just as an aside, I said, "I'm rubbish at remembering jokes." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, re- I can remember them for the day that somebody's told me them, perhaps, and I'll tell somebody else. But then, if you ask me to tell you a joke, you know, I don't have this vast repertoire of jokes that somebody that some people just seem to be able to reel off. You know, I might be able to remember yeah. the last two jokes that somebody told me if they were relatively recently. And I said, yes. "What? Why is that? Is there something that makes? Is there something about some people's brains that make them easy?" it makes it easy for them to remember jokes and other people not and he goes no you just don't care enough yes yeah and he says yes. you you're more interested in other things you're not that bothered about whether it says fundamentally it's that you don't really care and i was like okay well that's kind of a weight off my shoulders in some ways you know so yeah and i can really relate to that and um and and having young kids now is is another kind of relationship with jokes and you know i i have to fulfill my role of you know having enough dad jokes so uh, <laughs> i'll spare i'll spare you those but but on the um on the on the psychology side of it i i can i can really relate to that and it it reminds me of some of the other concepts that i've i've had to sort of um familiarize myself and and understand even if they don't form an integral part of of my work they help me understand the, the parts that are so a good um a good example and this i think this is actually in the book but it's is is the idea of association which um explains so much when we're familiar with it but basically the idea that our brain is actively you talked about connections earlier whether we want to be making connections or not our, our brain there's, there's a significant part of our brain that that's what it does and, and it will do it whether we ask it to or not so and i can remember in um whether it was thinking fast or slow or, or another work of um psychology or something the idea that if you if you talk if you tell somebody i don't remember the exact example but if you say somebody you're going into the bathroom you're washing um you know you're, you're, you're brushing your teeth you're doing all that uh now uh, here's here's a word with a letter missing. The word is S O blank P. So what is the word I'm thinking of? Well, you're immediately going to say soap, aren't you? Absolutely. And if you say to somebody you're you're very hungry, you prepare a meal. There's a bowl. There's there's a bit of bread. They're <laughs> going to say soup. soup but you haven't yeah. actually fed that. Yeah, you haven't you haven't fed those letters to them. It's 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 what the brain will will do. And that's that's a large part of our experience outdoors. And and if we're you know if we we have that that little that that element of time then we have an understanding of landscape and then one animal does something our brain may have seen those three things lined up before and we'll say to you right well at this point a um you know hawk is going to go overhead Mm. and 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 i think we've all had whether it's outdoors or or we have it indoors quite a lot you know you you can have that feeling when you meet somebody very early on that you're going to like them or not like them and it's not if you're asked if you're going to be given a piece of paper and said write down why you might struggle but your brain's made all sorts of connections between well the last time i met somebody wearing that type of leather jacket and (laughs) that (laughs) lipstick it it didn't go well (laughs) yes yeah yeah and and, 
I think at some point you also make a point about that you can very, even on the telephone, within a word or two, you can tell what mood somebody's in just by the... That, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's again like like um, so much my work and, and and other writers is it it's standing on on the shoulders of, of of others and and that is you know psychologists have done this test and and time features in that hugely as well and we've all had that experience where the phone goes at ten to eleven you're thinking there's a good chance that's not good um, mm. you know, I mean it depends on your social life and everything else but um, you know my my phone doesn't tend to go very much after after about nine p.m. certainly not not much after ten and so particularly the landline at home. If the landline at home goes any time after 10 p.m., I have this slight sort of, ooh, um, more often than not, it's okay, but it's, it's, it just it's, it sits, sits outside the pattern. And again, yes. our brain is, is brilliant at spotting anomalies. So you, could, you can take somebody who, who doesn't consider themselves, um, you know, an outdoors expert and maybe couldn't, couldn't name um, more than a couple of plants and animals. But if you, if you rearrange um, uh, the, the, the sticks on on the ground or bend a tree branch the you know in an unnatural way or anything like that they'll spot it um mm. uh it's 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 a little game uh, you can ask people to just you just give them a, a whole load of bits from the forest floor um in a, in a clearing in a relatively uh, clear area and just say right you've got five minutes to make that look natural and it's almost impossible mm. um because the forest is busy doing things that we don't understand how it does but we can recognize when it when it isn't when it um, isn't right yeah, yeah. i mean, I, mean yeah. I, I i run a tracking course and clearly the more familiar familiar you are with any given natural environment the better you're able to track with it but there are some key principles um that you know you can transfer from one environment to another um but a lot of what i do initially on that course is just get people more familiar with the environment that they're in but also um, teach people that what they're really looking for are things that are out of place. That that's really, in a lot of ways, what tracking is. You're just looking for things. You know, there has been some disturbance, and you're following these disturbances in a in a method in a in a, in a sort of methodical way, methodical way, even if I can get the word out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, you're you're doing that in a in a structured way uh, with the you know somebody else could do in your place. Again, it's sort of replicable replicable in a way um but one of the things we do initially is not do any tracking really we just work with the senses and we have people you know we've got little games that we do similar to what you're saying where you know you've got a bag of pebbles all of which are quite similar size and we'll blindfold people and have them spend a minute or so with a pebble and then we'll put the pebble back in the pile of 30 pebbles and then they can take the blindfold off and it's like find your pebble and people sometimes people will go straight to it um because they've got a good enough mental image based on just a sense of touch of what that pebble looked like in amongst other very similar pebbles and and other people you know within touching one or two that have a similar size and shape they'll find the right one and then the the other thing that we we do is we have people work in pairs, one person blindfolded, and the the person that's not blindfolded takes the blindfolded person to a tree, and then they have a few minutes with that tree. It literally is tree hugging in this sense <laughs> to, to feel to feel the tree. You know the base of the you know is there um you know are there any side branches? You know what's the texture of the bark? And again, it's all just by feel. Um, maybe they smell it a little bit, and then they're walked some distance away from the tree still wearing a blindfold you know turned around and around a little bit like you'd play in blind man's bluff and yeah 
take the blind take the blindfold off and then they have to go and find their tree and again people can do it and it amazes people that they can do it um but one of the nice things about that as well is even if we're not saying it explicitly is that they're learning that rather than this being a uniform you know distribution of stuff that's all the same it's actually that each 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 and every little bit is different and it's unique and if you observe it closely enough you will see those uh, distinctions even amongst the same species and then yes. then that just Im improves the acuteness of their observation which they need then for the for the tracking and it's a really nice way of getting people to maximize their senses when they're when they're out in the woods and I, I like that, and it's um, uh, it, it's it's a nice example of a, a of if we deprive ourselves of sight, because estimates vary, but the most recent ones I've read is it's eighty to eighty-seven percent of our sense, you know, our senses input to the brain is, mm. is through our eyes, and it, it the, I sometimes call them the the bullying sense because <laughs> our ears and nose might be trying to tell us some fascinating stuff, but our eyes just go like, no, no, me, 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 I want to, you know, <laughs> I want to control the brain's thought process, and. You, it also also reminded me of um, a little exercise I, I do on on walks and courses where quite often I do it when there's the first sense from somebody that they they they're starting to feel that they can't do something. So I mean the whole point of a course is you're you're taking somebody from a level to another level ideally, and at some point along that you're going to be going a bit too quickly for somebody and a bit too slowly for somebody else. So mm. you, you, it's hard to get it perfect all the time. And if I hear somebody say, "Oh, you know," You know, this is all a bit, you know, what I quite often do is I won't single them out, but I'll ask the whole group to, to close their eyes and then ask them to turn in a circle and then turn the opposite way until they feel disorientated. And I say, stop short of falling over or puking, but get yourself <laughs> properly, get yourself properly sort of dizzy. And then I say, keep your eyes shut, point north. Mm. And, and, you know, the vast majority of people can do it, even, even, you know, sort of one hour into a course. And then, you know, everybody opens their eyes and sees that they're, you know quite often within sort of 15 degrees of pointing north with their their eyes shut and it's it, it's a nice and i and then say so how did you do it and the interesting thing is is unless there's a very very dominant clue like a blinding sun which even closed eyes can't sort of shield out or mm. a very very strong wind it's nearly always a mix of light wind and gradient but different people use different things but it's it's they suddenly it's it's for, for a lot of people it's that breakthrough so they've gone from sort of thinking oh god there's another there's another tree method i'm meant to remember oh no this is this is this is all becoming too much think oh my god i can actually actually point north with my eyes shut this is you know uh they go from sort of feeling that they're struggling to thinking they're flying and it's mm. it's um it's yeah i think the senses and uh and sort of helping people ironically by handicapping them slightly uh, um can can you know lead to interesting places indeed indeed and and you know us we do have very good eyesight uh, and it is a as you say a dominant sense but i think we we actually i think in modern society we do tend to shut off our hearing and our sense of smell to an extent um I mean, we do we you know we know that we've got selective hearing you know we you and i could be having this conversation across a, a crowded room at a drinks party or something while everyone else has different conversations and we could hone in on that that one particular conversation and that's that's useful um but equally i think because we're bombarded with noise 
um, particularly in, in, in urban environments, which is where most people in the first world live, in urban environments or suburban environments, um, we're bombarded with noise um, and distraction, potential distraction. We, we do filter things out. And I, I think one of the things we have to do when we go to the woods is learn to turn that filter off and start allowing the sounds that are around us to come back in otherwise we, we don't pick up on the cues that are there yes and and um i, I think bird alarm calls are one of those you, you're you're either side of that dividing line if you're if you're just getting started in your your sort of uh, enjoyment of, of outdoors and outdoor skills then chances are bird alarm calls won't fight their way in but it there's well you, know, you have to know that it's an alarm call for starters don't you it's not just yes yeah yes um um but it's 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 been designed is the wrong word but through evolution it's 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 fairly unambiguous isn't it the sort of uh yes tight sound and it's but but once again it's the caring thing once you consciously sort of say to the part of your brain that's wanting to filter it out no actually that's something i do want to pay attention to again you don't have to do it consciously you know more than a more than a sort of half a dozen times before your brain it's the other way around your brain's saying something's up Yes. Um, and uh, that that I think is is it's a good example of that. It's so easy to filter out, and I you know I'll, I'll happily confess that I I went you know quite a few years and probably didn't hear an alarm call. Uh, and now, whether I want to or not, you know I might be just sort of I might be just sort of walking the dog and trying to think what I'm going to do in you know two hours time or something, and and I can't filter it out. The, mm. You know the birds are saying you know um, something interesting going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I, I find the same when I'm in the woods. It's, you, you, you know, jays. I mean, jays are completely obvious when they start screeching, and it's normally at you um, when yes. you <laughs> when you're moving through the woods. But you know, all all of these other maybe less um, ardent uh, uh, calls that you get, you know, whether it's blackbirds or wrens ticking at you. Yes. Or, um, yeah, you, you you can't help but but notice them once you know what they are and you're yes. you're tuned into it absolutely, which is wonderful. It's 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 very interesting. Um, how did you come up with the term keys? Uh, it was probably playing around with the idea of unlocking stuff, mm. which is which is a big um, sort of motivation again for for me personally to start with, and then in turn. From the the sharing perspective, it's it's unlocking an understanding. It's probably the the, the sort of um, the, the the brief version. And I um, I like it because it, it conjures again a practical. Uh, and and as I've sort of said, it's it's it's. I feel it's a contractual thing between me and the, the reader. Certainly, in my books today, with the possible exception of how to connect with nature. Although that does have a few practical things in it, but it's um, it's that kind of idea that. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to. If if we take a sort of urban um, uh, metaphor, I'm not going to tell you that there's this amazing house with all these extraordinary things in every room. You know, I'm going to give you the key. You got to go in there and, and have a look and, and see for yourself and enjoy it and, and have a bit of fun with it. And um, that's um, that ties in with my almost everything I do can be c- comes back to the idea of finding meaning and the shorthand for that is is a sign you know when we say something you know it's giving you know if we understand the meaning and it and it's offering us you know insight into something then that that is a sign so my my work always comes back to to signs but but um as you said sort of ones that that people can replicate and whatever whatever i'm doing and um 
I, I at talks in particular, I very often get asked about uh, the, the environment and uh, you know how we protect it and that sort of thing. And I, I, I even come back to that philosophy within that because I sort of say that, and weirdly it comes back to my understanding, my limited understanding of psychology is that if you if you tell people they should do something or they ought to do something, you know, good luck. There's not a lot of evidence that that has. Mm. You know, if you say somebody you, you you ought to give up smoking, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be their best friend, their parent, their child, whatever. It's it's, it's sort of proven to have almost no effect. But if you if you allow people to to engage and give them a reason to, then then they they change the way they think and and in turn how they behave. So if if I say to somebody, ah, oh, you know that you know we're we're losing our our ancient woods. You, you you need to appreciate them. You ought to appreciate them. You should appreciate them. I know full well that's going to have no effect. Whereas if I help give people some tools so that they can go into the woods and come out sort of feeling uh, slightly sort of mind blown in a fun way of all the all the signs they've seen and the meaning of the, um, the, the the plants and animals, then that that achieves the aim of somebody. I mean, I'll give you an actual example. I um I've I've sort of taught you know trees form a large part of of my work because they. They reflect the elements very well. They're on a scale that's easy to read, and they don't they don't move. So they mm-hmm. they're anchored obviously to one point in the landscape, and and through teaching people these these various different ways to to read trees, people I people do get in contact fairly regularly, saying that they it comes back to your thing about tree hugging. You know, they build a relationship with individual trees because they become exemplars. They 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 sort of show the things that I'm talking about particularly well, and then they notice the patch of land around that. And they they particularly notice if there's if there's any tree surgery. So what starts as a time you know somebody thinking well nobody's going to notice I get the chainsaw out here suddenly there's somebody saying you know that you know the third branch up on the left disappeared why mm. you know <laughs> and that that's that can be expanded to a relationship with a wood or um, uh, even a a hill range you know um, so that's that's yeah it's it's signs gives us something that rewards our brain. Um, I often say the reason we love detective, you know, murder mysteries and we love puzzles like Sudoku or crosswords or things like that is because there's part of our brain that just it just gets tickled and enjoys solving puzzles. And the outdoors um, is where it all started. Um, and as you say, you know, most people live urban lifestyles. So a lot of that part of our brain has been shifted into these these mysteries. Mm. But actually, if we take it back to where it came from, it's just as happy. And the, and the bonus is. You know, we we get we get the fresh air and and the nature and the um the, the benefits that come with that. Absolutely, um, and I, I think you know some of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries key into that. That sort of bridges that gap in a way, doesn't it? Some of the uh, his deductions are often about some of these small small cues and small signs. Um, so absolutely, a- yeah, and it, it's it's I think it, it it appeals to all ages because it is an integral part of who we are. That that kind of um, puzzle solving creature um and i think that the sherlock holmes um conan doyle did an amazing thing there he sort of in a in a sort of fictional sense he created the the story crack cocaine for that part of our brain and that's why <laughs> the, the character is so sort of loved because he's not he's not as a character he's not that lovable he's no he's not actually no, no. He's, he's basically a sociopath isn't he but <laughs> uh, but but he does stuff that tickles our brain and we like having our brain tickled yes. and and so yeah i get i i think i'm i think my work probably started with a a greater um susceptibility to that tickling uh, which which uh when when i when i found it was um you know uh 
worked outdoors and uh, actually it's not you're not taking an indoor thing and finding it works outdoors the outdoor thing's been taken indoors and you're setting it free again um, yeah. that yeah. that's probably probably the motivation yeah i mean no no criticism of your work but the the, the thing I noticed that I think that was something that kind of kept in the back of my mind cropping up when I was reading Wild Signs that you you talk about doing things outdoors and I I tend to think of it, as you've just described I tend to think of a lot of these things the other way around like you know that, you know we we and and it's 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 embedded in our language isn't it that we that we in explaining things to other people you need to use that phrase you know in the outdoors and yes. and it's almost a, in some ways a sort of double negative and you know it's, it, it we should be talking about just doing things and then talking about indoors as the opposite yes. of that i think you're I, I think you're right and i um that's probably the probably the writer in me because i um i haven't yet i've tried where i write is um it's uh it's it's very comfortable i don't want to make it sound uh, sort of spartan and it's um but it's a it's an old forestry commission cabin in the at the edge of the woods and i open the windows you know all the year i can and i'm trying to break those barriers down but unfortunately when i'm writing i haven't quite got to the point where it's a you know i am i'm sat sat in the heart of the forest itself with a laptop perhaps that's the next stage but it is you know you know what what you say is probably a fair observation that i've you know gone back into indoors mode whilst writing i'll, I'll um, mm. no, but need, i mean, need to bring the barriers down further I think. I, I, it generally wasn't meant to be a criticism and i mean i i find myself grappling with that myself when writing articles and blogs and things where i'm describing outdoor life and again it's you know it's in that is embedded in that phrase outdoor life um yeah. and everything's couched in terms of you you know the, the 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 sort of base state as being indoors and then you're framing everything else in terms of that and it, it's so embedded in the phraseology and the words that we use it's hard to get away from yes yeah and it it, it does feel a bit binary it does you know it's it's one or the other mm. um and i i particularly like things that give us a sense of wild thinking in a in a in an urban park um i mean i, I give the example of, of of the squirrels so if you if you notice which is quite hard not to, <laughs> you know if you notice a gray squirrel walking across a, a park in in a town or city um just little things like you notice it freeze and then it will stay sort of motionless there if you if you carry on walking but if you then stop it will then flee mm. um and and those those are sort of just some of those building blocks of predicting exactly what it's going to do the, the the freeze flight refuge keys within the book but it's sort of just understanding the evolutionary it's not like the squirrels giving it a lot of conscious thought it, it's more the kind of fast sort of thought where if you stay in the same place the squirrel must go because it can't waste time trying to work out what you're doing therefore it will move on whereas if you carry on walking and it's there's a there's a ranger i i see more days than not um who who um manages the deer amongst other things in in, in my local woods and and he, he's given me wonderful examples in terms of walking and body language in terms of so if out of the corner of his eye uh, he, he we, we typically get fallow or row where where we are uh, if he sees sees one of those those deer out of the corner of his eye if he's if he's going to take a, a a shot at it, um, 
he he has to effectively convince the deer that he hasn't seen it and the way he does that is is, is keeping moving and, and and watching his body language very carefully until again out of the corner of his eye he's seen the deer return to routine behavior go from the the freeze to, to foraging behavior again at which point he can he can um shoulder the rifle and take a shot but if having just out of the corner of his eye he does anything except walk on the deer is tuned to that to say okay this is this is not somebody passing on the path which i'm used to this is this is an anomaly again and the, and the, the the deer will go into into flight mode in the case of fallow probably mm. uphill yeah fallow and f- once fallow go they keep going don't they there's um yeah. i mean row are a bit more curious they'll they'll kind of trot off a bit and stop and maybe even come around behind you a little bit but um yeah fallow just they're gone that's it yeah and i i love again i love understanding the nuts and bolts so for many years, I've seen Roe do that, That you know, as you say, it's a, it's a sort of mini bolt. They'll, they'll do sort of, you know, 10, 10 sort of steps and then turn side on. Mm. And I've seen the side on thing for, for years and years. And it, it wasn't until it's pretty obvious, actually, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people get there bef- before I did. But but it's if a deer is facing away from you, you're in its small blind spot. If it's facing towards you, it, it's not physically set to, to run away from you. So actually side on is is evolution's um solution to to that problem um there's you know evolution's pretty clever there are a few few sort of problems like that it, it hasn't solved mm, mm, absolutely absolutely um I've, I've noticed similar thing to, to your to your ranger friend if you go into the woods and you're walking quietly uh, quietly enough not to spook deer before you have a chance of seeing them but if you're walking sort of casually with no sort of intent they seem much happier with you being there than if you're walking like you're stalking if you if you sort of walk in a more predatory fashion just enabling you to see them i'm not talking about you know going for an armed walk i'm just talking about you know with the intention of you know getting close to animals if you walk in that predatory fashion they're they're much more wary of you than if you're walking more casually but quietly i i found anyway i i um i totally agree and it it's um it's something that i would have struggled to believe in a theoretical even if i experienced something like that practically it's something i would have struggled to believe theoretically until i um there's an example i keep coming across and i wrote about uh, quite a few years ago um clever hands the horse do you know the one i mean um remind me it's this horse that um it was in germany and uh, somebody just said to the authorities oh, you might like to know i've got this horse that can do complex maths and the authorities went well we better check this out it's okay. roughly 100 years ago i think and long story cut short they 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 came to the conclusion that it's unlikely the horse was doing complex maths but they also didn't think they were being hoodwinked by the, the horse's owner um mm. but they couldn't work out it wasn't until a, i think it was a phd student or somebody studied both very carefully and solved the mystery by giving the the owner a, a question to ask the horse that the owner didn't know the answer to. Ah. So when when the owner was saying something like, what's what's sort of seven minus four, um, the horse would would um, uh, hit the ground with its hoof three times. But when the owner was given something harder, like, you know, that they perhaps didn't know, like what is the square root of this minus the square root of that, the number might have been fairly simple, like five, but but the the owner didn't know it, and suddenly the horse didn't know it. So at that point, they proved there was a connection between the, even though the owner wasn't being dishonest, the owner was giving the answer to the horse unwittingly through body language, because when the horse got to the right number, the owner, without realising it, their, their, their body language and their facial expressions changed just enough that clever hands the horse was able to say, well, clearly I've got it right now, and stopped. Ah. And, 
and re- looking into that more it, it turns out that horses can notice a movement in our face of 0.2 millimeters wow. so you can have this situation where you know you could there can be two of you with a horse you know the love of your life who you've you've spent you know most days of the last 20 years with and you can be with a horse you've only just met and the horse will pick up you know cues in in your other half better than than you do which is surreal but yeah yeah, yeah. now that does that that does ring a bell but i wouldn't have been able to recount the uh the the story i had forgotten it was called clever hands but the the gist of the story is in the recesses of my brain somewhere somewhere <laughs> it's it's honestly changed the way i i behave particularly when i go into a sort of joint freeze so if i if i'm um uh, walking into wind and and lucky enough to come across a, a deer or a badger or, or something like that i i i will freeze and it will quite often um spot me the the same time and, and freeze as well and i'm now thinking actually it's not just about being perfectly still i can't really afford to sort of smile at the experience because the game will be up but i mean in the case <laughs> in the case of many animals you know their, their, their vision's nothing on a on a horses but, but the idea is there in my head that you know they they can tell they can tell what i'm thinking uh, before before i move yeah yeah they can pick up on your body language yeah if they're familiar with what you are as a as a as a as a as an entity as a species which a lot of them are you know they're around us enough to to know what we are um and have some experience of us then yeah they can they can pick up on those things i'm sure yeah they're not stupid uh-huh. and and as you point out in your 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 book i mean the these small cues and signs they're guiding their lives day in day out anyway it's us that have kind of removed ourselves from them yes and uh, and i i found it fascinating when i realized um towards the end of the book i go uh, a little bit more it's my sort of license i feel at the end of the book is to is to go a tiny bit more philosophical because i kind of feel like i've i've, I've lived up to my part of the bargain You've so i'm allowed it. to go yeah yeah i'm allowed, <laughs> I'm allowed to go a little off piste and uh, um I, there's a there's a chapter called Umvel, which is the the landscape as perceived by another animal, and mm. and the things that I found fascinating in that is that we we all have a hard we try, and I'm as guilty as the next person. We we do um, anthropomorphize and and we do see the landscape. We we think the deer is seeing the landscape the same we see it, mm. um, and it, it's a fascinating area. And there are some examples, but sort of particularly in the area of motion. So it's it's very tempting to sort of think that. It's worth freezing because if you're not moving, you seem less threatening to the animal. But there are a lot of animals, including quite a few birds, where you literally disappear. I don't mean disappear as a metaphor, as in you become less visible because they're not picking up the motion, but you literally disappear as in that their eye, the information their eye is feeding to their brain is so sensitive to seeing the world in terms of motion that something that isn't moving no longer exists. Mm. You have quite literally disappeared from their their, their landscape. I mean... Um, there's a there's a, an example I, I cite of the um, jackdaw trying to eat a grasshopper. It sees the grasshopper hop hop hop. It flies down, gets ready to eat it. The grasshopper freezes, and the jackdaw is staring at it, but its brain can't see the grasshopper anymore because there's no motion. So it has literally disappeared. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, and then that's you know, so that's down to the makeup of their eye in terms of the senses or is it to do with the brain the way that the brain processes the the information or a combination of both i i I think but i'm not uh an expert enough in that particular area to say with authority but i think it's more at the brain side than the eye side because Mm -hmm. i think if the if the brain is simpler i.e., smaller um and is capable of less 
you know complex functions then it it has to be pickier about what it sees in the world Mm. because um you know the more complex an animal the 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 more variables we can kind of deal with at the same time Mm -hmm. but um i mean there's the uh it's another example of kind of worms know how to take leaves down down their holes and again from a from a anthropomorphizing sort of very human view we sort of go well it's pretty obvious isn't it if you if you try and stuff it from the tip of the leaf down it's all going to go horribly wrong you've got to take it from the um the the branch end of the leaf um down um but the the worms don't see the leaf they they don't they don't have a picture of a leaf at all they do it by taste they go Mm. oh this this is this is the end we take down um and in a weird thought experiment if you you know, if you could even get a worm to sort of, you know, sketch a leaf for you, it, it, it has no concept of, of the shape of it. It's, it's, um, but it's there. It does go a bit philosophical. So, <laughs> no, that's interesting. Though. It's interesting. Yeah, and uh, you're you're right. It's 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 what scale you're seeing the world on, and what are the relevant bits of information you need to get the end result that the organism needs. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's in, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I know I know deer, for example, do have different um, eye makeup. Eye makeup sounds like the the wrong eye shape. <laughs> Mascara. Yeah, <laughs> they have different. Um, you know, the rods and co- the, the proportion of rods and cones in their eyes are different to ours. So they, you know, it's one of the reasons they're very good at picking up movement. They've got more rods. But and it's also why they can see better in the dark than we can. Um, oh, you're right. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as for other animals and birds, I, I know that birds generally have good eyesight. They're very cute eyesight, don't they? Um, yeah, they they can see. Um, they have a fourth cone. They can see mm. more color. They can see extra colors. Um, and they have a they have a layer of oil which um, improves some part of their vision. But mm. exactly which bit I can't remember. But yeah, the, I mean the thing. The thing that always gets me with birds is, is you know, like you, I'm out there looking for stuff, and you know, and and it, the birds frustrate me sometimes because they just fly down and start pecking at the ground, and they can't afford to waste energy. They're not doing it for fun. No, you sort of no. go there, and there's nothing. <laughs> like, what are you seeing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating creatures. No, birds are fascinating. I find them endlessly fascinating to watch them. Yes, um, I, um, I need to get myself some. Uh, I resisted binoculars for for most of my life. I sort of taken the view that I'm I'm I, I like a tool free existence. But um, when it comes to birds, they do uh, they do give you another another dimension. So I'm probably going to succumb. Yeah, I think they're they're one of the one of the things that I like to have with me a pair of a pair of binoculars. Um, which, you know. which ones do you recommend? Um, I tend to use. Um, I've had a pair of Leicas that I've had for years and the the newer ones are even better than the ones I've got and they have fantastic optics. Zeiss makes some good ones as well. Swarovski makes some good ones. So if you want to, if you want to sort of invest in some wants, as it were, um, and, yeah. and keep them, yeah, so I would, I'd say Zeiss, Swarovski or Leica are, are all very good. Um, and something, you know, if you want something compact and portable, something like an 8x32, is is very uh compact sounds to me like you've done a q a on this before <laughs> well i've tried quite a few different types and um you know the birders will tend to maybe have maybe a little bit higher magnification and they'll maybe have um slightly larger objective lenses so they might go like an 8 by 42 or a 10 by 56 or something but they tend to then become heavier and if you're walking around 
you're then thinking, oh, do I want to take these bloody heavy binos yeah. with me? So I, I find if you get a high quality, because it's not just about the size of the objective lens, it's also about the quality of the optics. So if you've got you know, a compact pair, a relatively compact pair of high quality binos, I think that's a good compromise, particularly if you're moving around the environment, which you know I believe you like to do and I like to do, rather than just being static in one place. So yes. yeah, I think an eight an eight by thirty two is a good is a good uh, is a good way to go from one of the one of the higher end manufacturers. And you know, like I say, the set that I've got, I've had for nearly twenty years, and I don't need to replace them, and I'll probably never need to replace them. So God, um, oh, that's um that's good good mm. sort of drills and skills from you there to to keep a bit of outdoor kit for 20 years however hard i try they are there's, no, there's not much last last that long um, but then i as i say i'm not a not a not a brilliant sort of kit person generally but well i think optics yeah. you need to look you need to be you know I, th again they're they're robust and they're waterproof you know and they're gas filled and they're not they're not going to fog and what have you but equally you don't want to be sort of lobbing them around on dropping them and and yeah. things if you look after stuff like optics the same with camera lenses you know i've got some camera lenses that i've had for a long time that you know i used to shoot 35 millimeter film with that i still use with my digital camera now and if you if you oh. look after if you look after the optics then they, they they serve you well that's where you should put the investment actually the the optics rather than the camera bodies camera bodies come and go but the the lenses last a long time if you look after them yeah yeah mm. i'll uh, i'll go for it yeah no i would i would and if you want to talk offline about things then uh, we can do if you want if, if you if you're looking yes. to buy those yeah yeah um so you talked about and i wanted to come back to this. this is one of the things i wanted to come back to you talked in your book and you mentioned it earlier you talked in in, in wild signs when i when i mean uh, when i say book um yes, of course i should be more specific um in in wild <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned it in the in the book we're talking primarily about and you mentioned this earlier that you don't see you don't see and, and i'm trying to i've made a note of this i'm trying to find it because i like the way you put it where you yeah here we go that you write about seeing direction and make a distinction between this and the labels of direction such as east or west and would would you i thought that was a nice distinction but can you elaborate on that for the for the listeners and how that actually feels to you the difference between those two things Yes, and to me, it's um, it, it's probably one of the most interesting areas, and and yeah, a large part of the motivation behind behind the book is this. Um, as as I've I've sort of said that we start with any signs, it starts with a very sort of mechanical process. This means this, okay, you know, and and we've talked about Sherlock Holmes, and that is very mm. much, uh, you know, it is right, okay, that bit of cigarette ash means this has happened, therefore this has happened, therefore that person is the the criminal. And outdoors, that was very much my my approach with natural navigation. Uh, like most people, I, I started with the quick winds, like the, the sun being due south and how to find the North Star and that sort of thing um, many years ago. And then I started to notice sort of some strange things where when I was showing things to people, I was, I was almost feeling uh, certainly a tiny bit of frustration, not quite irritation, just kind of like, well, it's, it's sort of obvious, you know, when you're seeing patterns in, in trees and things like that. And 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 the, and I I had to step back and go you know well you know if you're going to teach something you've got to you've got to actually enjoy those situations because this is the, the these are the challenges that teaching is all about and and through that process I had to analyse where I was and, and what I realised is that I was starting to see the meaning short short circuiting the sign altogether so 
you, you've probably had this experience. A lot of outdoors people who are very, very comfortable with finding the North Star and things like that will will see. They won't necessarily see direction straight away, but they will see the North Star without having to go. There's the plow, and I go five from that to that. Yes, you know, and and that. So the the next stage from that is when you when you've been doing it, uh, and you you might well have had this experience, and, and others will have, will will have done. I'm sure you don't. You don't actually look for either the plow or the north star. You just your brain just says to you, "Well, that's the northern sky." Mm-hmm. You're not actually even using the labels. You're 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 just getting a sense. Well, that's the northern sky. That's the southern sky. And I had it really hammered into me, and lot, lots of times using using the sun when you even even a sort of four or five hour walk where the sun is your main compass it, it starts with a, a, a sort of okay we're we're sort of half an hour before midday so we're going to be you know let's say sort of seven degrees to the east to south and then and, and that's sort of very ploddy you know sherlock type way of, of finding meaning in it and and by the end you are quite literally sort of walking where you want to walk without without degrees or names coming into your head and that's what i mean by seeing direction so the words north south east west or 135 degrees or, or, or whatever are labels we use um uh, and in the past you and i've talked about names of plants and latin names and things mm-hmm. like that and it, it's in a similar area where those labels are quite useful for when we are trying to convey concepts to each other and we're trying to pass on information in a succinct way me me saying you know, head, you know, one three five or or southeast to somebody who's familiar with those terms and comfortable with them is quicker than if they're not familiar with it. Saying, you know, head head in the direction of, of sunrise in midwinter or, or, or something <laughs> like that. Mm. Um, but actually, it, it all stems from that, and it, it, it doesn't take a huge amount of practice before our brain goes back to the more natural state of of um, sensing that direction. Um, so uh, Orion, the, the constellation Orion, is, is one I, I use in, in the book as, as um, partly because I know a lot of outdoors people read my books and I didn't want to use the North Star because it's already too familiar to a lot of people, whereas finding direction using Orion is it's a slightly less well-known mm-hmm. area. So I thought I could you know share my experience there and get them from a point where they, they're probably recognising Orion but not necessarily even aware of a method of finding direction or if they are it's still at the very mechanical end and sort of show how that comes to the point now quite genuinely when i see orion i can't not see direction even if i didn't want to even if i said to myself right i know it's a starry sky I, I, i'm going to walk out the door uh, and i am not going to think i just can't i just if it's there the direction is is sort of announced through the the angle of orion's sword and the 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 sort of alignment and height of orion generally is just that to me is direction um, even to the point where i genuinely think i can sense direction occasionally and if somebody asked me very fast which way are you looking it would take me longer to come up with the label let's say south than than i needed to understand which way i was looking does mm. that make sense it's yes. quite it's quite an odd odd thing i don't i mean you you will definitely have had that experience in lots of areas whether whether it's sort of navigation or not you know it might be more with tracking where you just you just go well that's you know that that's a roe deer that's you know been spooked by something i don't know you know but 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 or, or well, just you whether you just whether you're on the right track or not you get a sense of yeah. you know freshness or, and whether it's the same person or animal that you've been following 
to that point yeah absolutely and 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 i've i've I've, you know i've had a long interest in natural navigation as well and i know exactly what you mean about and i grew up in the countryside and i spent and i have spent a lot of time outdoors both in this in the uk and and further further abroad and you know one of the nice things is you know i I remember instance last year for example winter camping in a pretty remote place in in northern ontario not as far north as you can go in ontario but what most people consider northern ontario and we were out in the middle of nowhere and just stepping out of the you know the heated tent that we erected and looking up at this vast sky with no light pollution and orion being there and immediately you you orient you know you're oriented you've you've got because you know you recognize the pattern um you know how where it is in the sky and you know it's on the you know it's on the celestial equator or at least the middle of it is and but you you've gone through all that mechanics but as soon as you look up and you see it there you feel comfortable somehow it's like that's I, i'm not disoriented in any way shape or form that you know that you're looking broadly at the southern part of the sky that you know the other you know polaris is some, somewhere behind you perhaps because it's you know it's it's orion's belt's fairly horizontal and you, it but you don't go through that conscious process it's it's just okay yeah orion's there i kind of know where everything else is now and yeah i understand where you're coming from i think that's what yeah. you're talking about yeah you're not you're not i, I, I mean taking yeah and, and i think if, if it's an area you're super familiar with you sometimes have to step into other areas to empathize with people who 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 are are, are maybe not yet so um i mean i i enjoy um you know uh tracking it's not it's not my um my my full-time sort of area but but a good example within that is is you might know the technical terms um um you know a, a lot better than me but basically when i see a sort of rim pushed up you know a sign of deceleration or something like that that instantly leaps out at me mm. often before i've even identified exactly what it is you know quite often i'm you know you know how sometimes it's really obvious you're looking at fallow or you're looking at row and sometimes it's less obvious yes the, the, there, there are times when um you know i i i can tell that the, the the deer has decelerated before I've even worked out which species it is, and that that sort of thing I really like because it's kind of you can kind of imagine that's it's a more primal thing, you know. Understanding mm-hmm. what the animal's doing is almost more critical sometimes than 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 species identification. And um, yeah, I, I, I like that. It feels it feels coming back to the the idea of connection. It, it, anything that, that that helps get back to that sense of um, you know the way our ancestors would have. Um, would have related to things and understood them um i get quite excited by mm. no I'm, I'm i'm sure and i'm sure that the tracking side of things i think would definitely you know i, I can see that how that fits in you know because a lot of what you write about is a, is about having a, a an acute observation um of what's of what's going on and you know that's that's fundamentally what you need to to be a good tracker as well it's just observing those small changes and the subtleties and uh, and you know again it's a conscious thing initially that you recognize them and you go through a kind of a slow you know this this slow thinking that you that you've um couched in in those terms i think it's very useful um vehicle actually i think it's really good that you've 
you brought that in in terms of that in that that fast thinking and that slow thinking it is you know when you're learning something it's very conscious and it goes you know it links in with that sort of conscious competence when you're learning a physical skill as well that you you know you use the example of driving a car but it's the same with you know riding a bike or paddling a canoe initially you have to really think about all the individual steps and then after a while it just becomes um part of your unconscious competence and you you have a hard time explaining to somebody else even what you're doing and it's the same yeah. with a lot of these um less tangible skills as it were that you're um as you've described very very clearly in in wild signs but also just in the context of tracking it's the same sort of thing that you're you're going through these conscious deductive steps to start off with but after a while it, it sort of blends into a more a more intuitive thing yes and it's it's um it's it's satisfying when it happens it's quite hard to predict exactly you know when it when it's going to click because that part of our brain has its own agenda and uh, it's probably influenced by all sorts of other things um that are going on around us and in our lives and you know mm. if we're hugely stressed it probably takes a bit longer and if we're mm. in the zone it probably happens a bit quicker but it it it, it, it happens for all of us mm. in the in its own time so how do we so i don't know if you've I don't know if you've talked about this before, but how do we avoid our brains tricking us? Um, you know, because I, I can think of some instances where, you know, even in the house, I've I've looked out the corner of my eye and somebody's put something on the kitchen table, for example, and I've thought it's one thing out the corner of my eye and then I've looked at it properly and it's something else. You know, it's, I don't know, it's a handbag and I thought it was a loaf of bread or something. You know, it's just because you have yeah. the colours there and maybe the shape's broadly similar, but you haven't. And we, our brains are very good at picking up patterns. And the the reason I'm the reason I'm kind of coming onto this train of thought is that one of the things I find when you teach people to track is that people so want to find the trail, they so want to find what they're following, they start seeing regularity in patterns where there actually are none, um, because their brain's so desperately looking for patterns. And it, you know, I think it's. You know, yeah. you kind of go off down the route of you know. Well, you know, we kind of come up with all sorts of conspiracy theories and you know, connecting things where there actually aren't any connections. So, how do we, you know, if we're if we if we kind of if we want to move to this point where we're allowing these cues to sort of bubble up to the surface, but not processing them in a slow fashion consciously, how do we avoid the trap of just being tricked and getting things wrong? Um, I, it's a it's a very interesting question, and I. I think it's um, it, it's the, the sort of cheat answer is it, it's all of these things are experienced, but trying to drill in, which is obviously the point of of, of this 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 whole sort of approach um, to the, the mechanics of that is uh, my best answer would probably be um, trying to to not fall into the trap of seeing things in isolation. So mm. I mean, I, I had a real um, uh, an inspiring moment when I was at a I, I wrote it up in the book, but it's it was at um one of the RSPB um, reserves in, in Somerset. And we were doing a, a radio thing, but some of the most interesting things happened off air. And I got to talk to one of the uh, the wardens there. And, and I was I was sort of quizzing him on some of the, 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 the bird calls I was uh, unfamiliar with and really struggling to kind of decipher. Uh, and it, he made the fascinating point to me that he, when he's in the reserve, he can identify almost every single call. But... If it's too dark or he's he's denied sight of certain basically habitat things, exactly the same sound becomes entirely meaningless. Mm. And I think this I think this does tie into what you're sort of asking in the sense that if 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 we show somebody 
uh, a shape or a pattern and and explain the meaning and then say you know go out there and look for it they will try and find that everywhere because they haven't yet learned to uh, contextualize it so you know i mean i i'm not suggesting that somebody's going to look for, for for deer tracks up the side of a tree but it, it's it's it, it's actually all those much smaller sort of ha- habitat sort of clues so um an, an example for me within natural navigation and a question i get asked a lot is, is how do you tell the difference between the, the the sun imprinted patterns on a tree and the wind ones mm. and and that's a really good example for me where i i do genuinely see it incredibly quickly but it did start with a much more um um plodish sort of approach and then i started to realize well the wind has much more impact on the tops of the trees and that the sun is, is is shaping the the main branches and the heart of the tree much more uh, and then and then what happens is 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 you get a a, a very quick if, if you're into natural navigation and, and you'll have experienced this arts, you get a very quick reading of, the, of of how strongly imprinted the wind is on a landscape. Mm. And at that point, you have that filter on everything else. Yes. So people might be sort of seeing a pattern in the tree and getting confused going, is that a sun thing or is it a wind thing? Whereas, in fact, the contextual clues are there. You know, if this is a, a landscape where the wind is, is, you know, if you're an exposed hill ridge or something – you're going to approach that exactly the same pattern as the person next to you is seeing. You're going to your brain is already saying to you, see this through the filter of a of a wind landscape. So it's that, I think it's that that's the best answer I can give, which is which is not perfect by a long way, but it's we we we're more likely to get tricked if we see these things in isolation, and much less likely if we see them within the within the context. No, that that makes perfect sense. When I'm teaching people to identify key species of trees and plants for you know that have particularly good uses in bushcraft and survival whether they're you know utility uses or whether they're edible or or, or poisonous for that matter to know that the distinctions um one of the traps that people fall into is focusing on either the most obvious um on the most obvious things so for example um a recent example is i showed some people a picture picture it was very clearly juniper if you looked at the looked at everything in the picture but the um the cones you know what most people call the berries on juniper um were all quite uh, well developed they were quite uh, dark and they had that sort of slight um sort of white um it's not it's not mildew but it kind of looks like it could be mold but it isn't you know that kind of um i don't know the right word for it is um but it sort of looks like they've been slightly dusted um but in a very similar way to the way that ripe blueberries look when they're still on the bush and if you yeah and so a lot of people look to this photograph and immediately look at the, the most obvious thing which is these sort of purple black fruits um no real sense of what the scale is in the photograph and people say oh they're blueberries it's actually no look at the leaves look at the and then you, as soon as you sort of focus on that, okay, well, they're clearly not blueberry leaves. They're spiky. Um, they're arranged in walls of three. three. Yeah, 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 it's clearly juniper, but it's it's that looking at it, the context as a whole um, and looking and cross-referencing different um, factors that are going to key you down to the to the actual um, identification. And that's just a very simple example, but people do it all the time. You know, they look at a bud, but they don't look at the uh, arrangement of the buds are they opposite are they alternate are they you know those type of things looking at things in context it, it makes all the difference absolutely yeah and that that i think is a wonderful example of um slow to fast where mm. the first time somebody sees juniper it is that you know you look for the three you look for the spikiness you do and you do that enough times and you know you will be saying to a friend on a walk oh there's juniper and your friend's sort of going hey, you tell it just looks like a bush to me you know and um 
it's it's that you know i think identification does have have yeah it's a really good example i mean i think trees i think everybody in the world even even the greatest tree experts will not recognize every single tree from a distance in winter but but somewhere along that scale it comes with a familiarity so we we all we all kind of start exactly as you're saying you know the the kind of opposite the leaf shapes if we're lucky we've got leaves and that sort of stuff and and it goes on like that and you you get to the point where you stuff like the the upward sort of curving sort of ash branches just mm. become su- such a signature that what was once a conscious sort of like you know oh uh, yeah that's yeah i think uh, you know you you just sort of out of the corner of your eye you're not even looking at yeah. oh, there's an ash tree in winter you know and it's um that, yeah, it's, that's, it's, it's no it, different to looking into a field and looking and being able to tell the difference between sheep and cows you know, yes. to say it's so obvious it's like that they have very different characters and you can pick up on those characters and yeah yeah no i I, yeah. I i agree completely completely and 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 the and the next the next stage within that which i which i do try and develop quite a lot within the book is, is the body language so exactly as you say somebody's going to laugh at you if you're questioning their ability to tell a sheep from a cow but if you if you then said to them what's it going to do next they might suddenly think, wait, 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 wait. You know, I can I can recognise the sheep, but what what's it going to do next? And actually, the patterns are, are you know, they're they're no more complex, but they're just less familiar. Yes, indeed. And so, it, and it goes back to observation and experience, doesn't it? And building yeah. up that, building that up. So this um, book that we're talking about primarily wild signs and star paths. Um, you've gone well beyond purely natural navigation um you know in some ways natural navigation was your starting point and you've kind of moved well beyond that to a more to us i think a deeper uh, aiming for a deeper connection and a broader connection with with nature and, and you know i think that's one of the fantastic things about the book um one thing you wrote Thanks. quite one thing you wrote quite early on in in the book and i made a note of this as well as um you said uh, in this book i bring a lifelong pursuit of outdoors uh so i can't read my own writing um awareness sorry <laughs> to its zenith um so if that's the case what's next <laughs> <laughs> i've hoisted me in my by, by my own baton um, uh, yeah no it's it's a it's a it's a fair question and that and it comes back we've come sort of full circle to kind of the psychology of writing a book which is uh-huh you have to approach it feeling like you know this is this is going to be the, the the best effort i can do this is going to be the sum of everything i've i've learned and, and all the rest of it and there is no thought to anything beyond that mm. uh, and then a, a a few months go by and and different things become intriguing and uh and i have to kind of step away from from it and and um i don't i mean basically my fascination, I don't think, is going to change my whole life, and it all comes back to signs. It comes back to, um, it, it's it's much more the mental cerebral side of the outdoors. I mean, I've 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 enjoyed lighting fires with bow jewels and, and things like that occasionally, but I I I don't think my passions lie in that area enough to want to 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 try and take that to the levels where they can, where 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 you and others, you know, have, have enjoyed lots of success and, and pursued, um, you know, vigorously. So for me. It, it, it remains natural navigation as you say is not the lion's share of the book but signs are it's, mm. it's this this finding meaning and i think I, i've been fortunate in the sense that navigation led me to natural navigation navigate natural navigation led me to an appreciation of signs in the environment and mm. that has that has now stayed with me so it's everything i do i'd, I'd be surprised if it if it moves miles away from that it's it's 
I, I personally, I get quite excited, as you've probably been able to tell by by some of the um, more cerebral philosophical sides of it. I, mm. but I don't think I would ever start um, uh, a, a book on that that footing necessarily. But I get I get very very excited when I see the signs come together, and I'd, I'd like to do more work in that area. But I don't, I haven't, I haven't, um, you know, uh, begun anything formal. But it, it's it's. I was going for a walk in um, the Isle of Purbeck a couple of weeks ago, and um, I suddenly realised that the way uh, a bird was flying, I could see the connection between that and a lobster pot in the sea, mm. and, and it was just a very exhilarating moment where I just it was, I felt the breeze on my cheek, I felt the way the breeze was was bending the the grasses at the cliff edge, which explained why the kestrel was facing the the way it was, which explained why the waves were moving the way they were, and then I noticed that the the waves were breaking in one spot where I wouldn't have expected them to, but that explained that there was a, a an undersea ledge there, which explained why the lobster pot was there. So in, in the space of what was probably two seconds, I'd suddenly got this interlock, you know, <laughs> interwoven mm. map of signs of what was going on around me. And it didn't lead to any sort of practical thing. I didn't go and, you know, you know, um, do do anything practical in terms of the, the, the plants, the bird or the lobster or the sea. Mm-hmm. But I just had this very, very vivid experience of understanding what was going on around me that I, I yes, at the philosophical end of that, it, it leads to, um, you know, the, the English romantics were quite into that side of things. And there's the interest in the in the sublime appreciation mm. of nature, which I which I find fascinating. And at the more practical end, it, it's what I would consider the richest possible map, as in once once those pieces are all coming together, there are um, quite exciting possibilities in terms of understanding what is happening, what has happened and what and, and what is likely to happen. So mm. it's, it's a for me, it's a it's a 3D map in space, but a, a 4D map in terms of possibilities and um, uh um that's that sort of thing mm. um so it starts i i i think i need to um you know i i need to explore it more in a in a physical and um uh, and and other ways before yeah. i do anything no, that's, um, that, that's formal. In, it's interesting um on a, on a number of levels and i think one of the other things that you hear more about these days is um people trying to be more present in the moment um yes. and you know you hear more about more people turning to meditation and mindfulness practice and and that's all well and good and i think there's there's space for that but equally i think the type of experience that you're talking about is being very much present in that moment and being aware of what's there but not being distracted by your shopping list or looking at phone or all of these things that people want to get away from i think there's a good in some ways a good prescription for that connection with the present moment that people want as well i i think you're right and and it's it's um i'm somebody who struggles you know with a lot of the the sort of pure mindful thing in the sense of you know just focusing on my breathing or something like that um like everybody i've i've you know dabbled and um and i do i do i mean the science is pretty strong i'm, mm. I'm not trying to refute any of it but to for my character and i think a lot of people not least you know out, outdoors people um it, it comes back to that you know you give give your brain a tickle give it a give it a chance so so for me if somebody said you know go and breathe deeply and i actually i actually um went um i was invited onto a, a forest bathing 
afternoon and oh, it was yeah. very enjoyable but to me it was i was just you know i really really i did i genuinely enjoyed it and there was nice people led by a very very nice couple and everything and i, I didn't really have anything negative to say about it but i was itching to sort of to to sort of say you know did you did you notice how the uh how the the uh the bird alarm call was was telling us that, that somebody was about to join us and yeah um so that so i i feel it, it's horses for courses for some people forest bathing and breathing and 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 that side of it is 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 all that's required to get to that zone and mm. um and and that's a that's a positive thing uh for others and i'm i'm in this camp we we get into that zone by by seeing how the how the pieces connect how the uh how the how the color on one side of a tree is is, is related to uh the, the the hill and the sky and the and the animals mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And, and clearly that's been driven by a, an intense curiosity on, on your part um for for listeners who want to move more down that path clearly they should buy your, your books of course um, <laughs> and and have that nice collection on the shelves which they should also read and not just buy them and put them in i'm, I'm terrible for <laughs> buying books and then you know piling them up I, I buy way more books than i can ever read i think you know i sort of um so how many have you got by the bed oh lots I, it's mainly it's fiction by the bed i don't yeah. read non-fiction before i go to sleep because i find i sleep better if i read fiction and i actually read quite a lot of science fiction it's got nothing to do with what i do for work i think is is from, yes is is part of that um not that i mind reading uh, you know i've got a i'm sat in a room here that's full of books that are related to what i do for a living but yeah i have i have piles of books and, and my partner amanda gets annoyed with me for piling books on the coffee table in the living room as well uh, you know <laughs> but uh, i do try and read as much as i can but um yeah so people should clearly read your books um, and not just pile them on the coffee table but if they if they which i have done by the way um Thank you. <laughs> but uh if people want to go down this path of of increasing connectedness and and seeing more in nature and want to get started with that are there any things that you could recommend you know any simple steps they could start to take um any uh routines that they might follow to try and because clearly you, you've got quite a large body of work now um and you know if people want to sort of start with some of that where might they start in terms of noticing some of the things they might be able to notice um well i i think last time we spoke i i offered and i'm i i think it's worth repeating just the mm-hmm. idea of, of just asking yourself which way am i looking because mm-hmm. The, the fast fun way into natural navigation is is I try and avoid the word tricks because I think it for, for two reasons uh, one it slightly devalues the richness of what's possible yes uh, but but two it, it can lead to a, a sort of view of shortcuts that that isn't actually very dependable but 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 it, when you're just getting started instead of worrying about what does and doesn't work you just walk outdoors and say which way am I looking and it doesn't even have to be sort of outdoors outdoors it can be standing on a train platform or whatever you just say which way am I looking uh, and and just trying to answer that without glancing to the, the smartphone for the the answer it, it forces you to be observant and and there are really no negatives you know you're not about to sort of set off on a sort of 20k sort of walk in the direction you pick but um uh but then and then moving towards my my more recent work and the the, the slightly you know deeper sense of connection and and um intuition and, and expertise and, and bringing all those pieces together i think again a really simple exercise is, is the next time you come across a, an animal and again it doesn't have to be in a very wild situation it can be a dog in a park um try and predict what it's going to do next um uh and then you you're, you're again you're forced to sort of start observing things that that you wouldn't you know you start noticing 
well it's tails up and it's its ears are up and i'm not sure i remember exactly what that means but it probably and okay well i've just heard a bark which explained why the tail went down and the ears went down and next time you know you hear the bark and you 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 get the the prediction pretty much as it's happening and then so it's it's um it sounds too simple to to be of any value but actually like most exercises actually doing it um you know next time you see a squirrel try and predict uh, where it's going to go uh, and what it's going to do and and just that exercise uh i i i can guarantee will will make you notice one or two things that that would otherwise have uh, remained in the background absolutely absolutely um don't know if you know the answer to this what have you have you come to any conclusion about why squirrels they're frozen and yet they're flicking their tail if you, you, do you know yeah, what I mean? Why do they do yeah. that? Do you any any thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm I think the the, the freeze is the um, uh, they tend to freeze and go up on their haunches, don't they? So they're they're, they're lifting their head higher, which is which is a standard uh, prey response because yeah. you're you're doing two things. One of them is practical. You're giving yourself a much better view of the scenery mm. um and and in the book i suggest you know have a look at a go into any landscape you want and get down uh, on your belly and put your chin on the ground yes. and just sort of make a mental note of what you can see and then just do a press up yes. um and that's that's you know in rough terms what the squirrel's doing and it does yes. that yeah. um, I, I was thinking a little bit more about when when they freeze on the side of a tree don't know if uh, you, yes and, and they're kind of that that they're sort of holding on to the and then they're dead still but they have a habit of flicking their tail almost like they're trying to distract you with their tail and i don't know if that's what they are trying to do they're, they're signing to each other right so it's, it's similar to the the rabbit's white tail and and thumping the ground and it's huh. part of the na- it's similar to the the bird alarm call it's part of the neighborhood watch ah, um okay. thing so it's, uh yeah a, a lot of sort of vigorous tail movement um or, or color at the rump is is part uh, my understanding is part of the same family of neighborhood watch alarm signaling ah, okay um and in fact you can you can uh I, I can't remember if i put this in the book but i was i was taught it by somebody on the, the side of a spanish mountain um who was from uh, from canada who who they have a uh, closely related but different squirrels there um if you mimic the the motion of a squirrel's tail with your hand uh and you have to pick your moments because you do this in a part which i have done a few times you do get some odd looks but you just sort of <laughs> hold your arm out horizontal and you're just kind of flicking in a gentle sort of flicky motion you're just yes. flicking your hand up and down like that my experience is it, with the canadian squirrels i forget which city he was doing it in but um they they, they, they would approach okay. um my experience with the gray squirrel is is you you extend the freeze and curiosity um so they don't they don't approach but they don't they don't shoot off in the other direction but they do seem to be intrigued by it mm. so i think that the impression i get and i, I really can't prove this um uh, either way is that they're they're getting that anomalous signal that we sometimes get, which is I kind of recognise that signal, but it's not in the place or the the context that I would yes. expect, and so they're getting that conflicting thing, and they're mm. they're having to kind of resolve it. But I, that's me, that's a little bit of sort of educated guesswork going on there. I honestly don't know for sure, but mm. but oh, yes, um, we can try yeah. that the next time we see a squirrel. We can yeah yeah see if um, we can gather some more data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 feed it, feed, feed it back, please yeah. do fantastic good well i, I want to respect your time tristan that's been a, a fascinating conversation i'm sure we could talk for a lot longer and maybe so maybe we should have these conversations a little more often and we haven't talked about yes, yes. how to read water at all we'll save that for maybe. another time or not but buy some water indeed yeah. indeed that would be nice um 
if people want to find you on the interwebs, where's the best place for them to look you um, up? Naturalnavigator.com. Um, uh, thanks, thanks for mentioning that. And that's a, you can have a lot of fun exploring that without um, committing to, you know, finding yourself on a course or buying a book or anything like that. There's a, I, I forget exactly how many, but possibly possibly a thousand pages of examples. Um, lots of good now. stuff on there. Lots of good stuff. Yeah. And I'm I'm enjoying that that that's that side of sharing as as well. I mean, one of the one of the really nice benefits of, of having had a, uh, a little bit of success with the books is that I'm under less pressure to, to, to kind of hoard. Um, in, in the start, I was kind of like, oh, you know, this is my livelihood. You know, which bits can I afford to share? And, you know, people have been kind enough to buy the books in the sort of numbers that, that I actually um, – it allows me to chill out a bit and go, mm. have, some, have some fun with this. And uh, um, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, well, I think that's the, that's the world we live in now, isn't it? I think if you can share – you can share your good stuff for free and people will buy more of it as well so um yeah it's a nice position to be in and so. you're you're one of the um yeah you're one of the pioneers i mean i i the amount of content you put out there without any um sort of mercantile sort of <laughs> attachments is is very impressive very generous but uh i think your 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 name is is known amongst the uh all the different um, out, outdoor tribes as a, as a result and um, well, yeah, well, kind, well deserved. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. Um, no, I just have a, I think like you, I have a passion for for nature and I have a passion for, you know, those moments, you know, you don't always witness them when you're sharing things at a distance, but you, you know that they're going on and people do write to you actually. People do send emails in and, you know, reply to posts on social media platforms and things. You So it's not just, tumbleweed you know that people are benefiting from things and as you've as you've said in multiple different places you enjoy those moments where people have those aha moments for themselves and things click and they connect in a way that they weren't before and going back to that conservation and preservation discussion we had before if you if you get people to value things and connect with things more then they're going to look after them perhaps a little bit better as well which is you know yes. important um, yeah definitely yeah, yeah um i also noticed you're on instagram as well <laughs> <laughs> tentative steps on instagram perhaps but are you happy for people to find you there and it's my skill set so I'm, I'm finding my way gently yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i am um, again i'm posting trying to post it's a mixture of uh, i'm sort of finding my way there's, there's the odd sort of this is pretty but i'm not sure why i've posted it but by and large i'm trying to put put examples of clues and signs on there and uh, um same same on twitter so yes. yeah please yeah. please do check yeah. it out and see see if it uh, see if it's the sort of thing you enjoy will do and i'll link i'll link to those in the in the notes below um below the podcast as well um but yeah primarily yeah definitely people listening to this check out tristan's website naturalnavigator.com and you've got a newsletter there that people can sign up to as well which which is always good um lots of good stuff there so thank you tristan i really really appreciate you taking the time to do this and to have another conversation for for my benefit but also the benefit of all the listeners and um really appreciate it so thank you very much and keep up the good work keep that curiosity up and keep sharing your findings with the rest of us it's it's really appreciated thanks so much paul thanks for the the support and the interest and uh, and likewise yeah keep it up great stuff thank you mate cheers well thanks again to tristan for that fantastic fascinating conversation it's always good to catch up with tristan and if you have not caught up with all of his books then please do 
And if you're not familiar with any of his books, grab one that sounds like it's of most interest to you and read that one first. I'll link to all of his books in the show notes, as well as links to other things that we talked about. Please go to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash podcast 45, podcast 45 for all of the related information to this podcast. Also, if you don't subscribe to my email updates via my blog then please do sign up to those too you'll be informed about all of the information that i add to my site articles videos podcasts etc as well as some other exclusive information that is not shared so widely so please join the clan there it'd be good to have you on board if you're not already and i look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast which will be out in a few weeks time And it will be the return of my good friend, Kevin Callan. Those conversations with Kevin are always very colourful. He's always out having adventures and it will be great to catch up with him to see what he's been up to. And maybe have a little whiskey as well, knowing Kevin. So without further ado, I'll let you get on with your day. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And if you haven't checked out all the recent podcasts, particularly uh, with John Hudson, for example, then please go back and have a listen to those as well, as I'm sure you'll thoroughly enjoy those. All right, take care and I'll speak to you soon.